0: Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin.
1: Heyo, it's your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Hope all is well, and welcome to this bonus episode of Live from Detroit, Crossing the Streams Edition, bringing you some great segments from our live show that we do every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Follow us on YouTube, The Jeff Tawaskin Show. Do a little subscribe. You'll get notified every time we go live. It's a fun, interactive experience. If you don't got time for that, you've come to the right place. Because we're sending it right to your ears, right here, right now. This is Crossing the Streams, where we answer the question that rocks the universe. What should I be watching on TV next? I just finished, eh, and now what should I do? Well, you've come to the right place. We have over 65 episodes streaming on YouTube right now for your listening and viewing enjoyment. But right now, we're going to bring you segments from episode 26, 46, and 47. CODA, Basketball or Nothing, and The Kaminsky Method. Did you say CODA, the show that's winning all the awards right now? That's kind of on the nose, yeah, if we weren't already talking about it. In November of 2021, could have known about CODA so long ago. As a matter of fact, let's get right to it. Ron Lippitt is going to talk up Apple TV's CODA. Take it away, Ron. And now... Coda. Ron has been wanting Whoa. to do Coda for such a long time. I'm excited that he
2: finally uh, Well, come on. I mean, here, here's the thing. This is a, I am a victim, once again, of marketing from the folks at Apple, and every time I flip on to watch my good friend Ted Lasso, I see Coda advertised to death on top of my Apple television. So uh, it was only a matter of time before I was going to click that button and t- take a shot at this, and it was a couple weeks ago that the family, uh, we said it was family movie night. That is to imply that We can. It would be content worthy of thirteen and seventeen year old, and my wife who doesn't like violence. Uh, You know what can we watch, right? So here, here's this Coda, winning all kinds of awards. Won the Sundance Film Festival. I mean, multiple awards, and supposed to be an amazing show. And Apple TV Plus is pushing it. So, sure, why not? We'll take a shot at this. I knew nothing about this movie. Uh, As an example, right off the bat, do you guys know what a Coda is in music? No, just a, a coda. Well, that's actually a good point. There is a coda for music, but no, that's not what this is. Do you know, do you know what a coda is with respect to uh, deafness?
0: No. Mm-mm.
2: So I didn't know this either. And literally, uh, kind of like what Tony described, sitting down to, to Dune, I sat down with no background knowledge about, about what this movie was about, which, by the way, it does talk about a, a deaf family, uh, which doesn't sound like pick-me-up or material, but this is very well done. A coda, by the way, is a child of deaf adults. And so it's a very okay. difficult position child to be. Deaf. Got it. It's it's a very difficult position to be and I, I personally don't know any codas. In fact, I don't even know any deaf families, but but I do understand now having watched this movie what a terrific pressure that is on this child to essentially live as their window to the world uh and to essentially be kind of ingrained into the family structure as, as the translator and communicator and basically functional aspect of, of what the family is is capable of to the outside world. And this particular family in the movie uh, is a fishing family in, in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. They have a long uh, standing business with this young lady. The uh, actress is Amelia Jones. By the way, is not from Worcester, Massachusetts. She's actually Welsh. I don't know what it is. We're finding all these British actors that have these unbelievably uh, American roles. But here we are yet again with Coda and a a Welsh actor uh, in Amelia Jones. She does a terrific job with an amazing Boston accent, by the way. You know, she discovers as a teenager that she has an immense talent for singing and it becomes the story that we've seen, you know, probably shown dozens and dozens of times of uh, where is your allegiance, Is your allegiance to your own life and your own promise for your own future or as a coda. Do you honor your family and stick with them and and do the things that are necessary required for them to even survive as a as a deaf family and it becomes a, a kind of a crucible as you might imagine and and you have to kind of decide what to do and I you know I won't wreck it for you because it's a it's a terrific story I don't know if it's if it's a true story or not yeah. but I do imagine that there are codas uh, all over the world that have faced a similar. Uh, predicament, and that that is told. And I, you know, again, I've never been in this culture or subculture, and I don't understand it as well as as I as I do now. But it is told extremely well. It is acted extremely well. Marley Matlin, who seems to continue to have a career, is is amazing in this movie. And I'll just say as a side note, she's got to be in her sixties. I, I I would think. She's beautiful and she has a she has a really outrageous sex scene in the movie. And uh that's that's worthy of the of the watch right right there. Uh but but <laughs> so I, I, so I watch for family movie. night
1: is a movie, not a show, right?
2: It, it, it it's a movie,
1: yeah. Two hours it,
2: it's a, it's now. a it's a two hour movie. I think it's an hour forty-five, actually. It's it's a difficult watch early on. Um, because you know where they're going with it. And, you know, gosh, what's this young lady going to do? But it's told very well. And I think it does ask some really legitimate questions. And, um, you know, at the end, you, you leave the movie asking yourself you know questions that you'd like to ask you know when you come out of good thought-provoking movies gosh what would I do in that situation how how would I handle that scenario and and if that's the measure of a great movie I think that this movie scores because it's been two weeks since I saw that movie and I'm still thinking about it I'm still thinking about gosh did she make the right decision I think that's the mark of a good movie hey, listen I, I check it out I, it you know oh, Apple TV sure. plus uh, continues to pump money into their into their production this is produced entirely through uh, through Apple TV so uh you know score another one for apple TV TV Plus, good job for them. Nice. One, one last thing is uh, Amelia Jones, who, who again has the starring role in Coda as as the Coda, is also the lead in the new uh, in the Netflix series Lock and Key, which is a, a top five show now on Netflix. Um, I don't know if you, any of you guys have seen this this show or not. I haven't either, but apparently it is a wildly popular show. So this young lady who I've never even heard of until two weeks ago um, is on two extremely popular shows on competing networks right now. I don't even know how that happens. Nice. All right,
1: that was Ron Libbit talking about the award-winning CODA from episode 46 of Crossing the Streams. If you want to check out the whole episode, head over to YouTube, and you can see the whole hour of goodness right there. Up next, Tim Besiegel, regular guest to the show, is going to talk about basketball or nothing. Take it away, Tim. So we have the next show we're going to discuss. I am not familiar with this one either, so I'm looking forward to our guest, Tim Besiegel, to cover it in amazing detail, basketball or nothing on Netflix.
3: Yeah. Another Netflix documentary. I did that because I wanted to impress Ron and make him think I was smart. And uh, so this one is actually really cool. I watched it a little while back and I was actually starting to watch it again when uh, Jeff and I started talking about me being on the show tonight. It's a six episode and actually it does require all six episodes uh, to tell the story because it's following a, a high school team through the season. And it's interesting because it's not just your average high school team. It's a team of uh, uh, Navajo kids on a uh, reservation in, in Arizona. And it's interesting because this this little town called uh, Chinle, a uh, lot of the kids, they don't have running water. They don't have electricity, uh, you know, out in some of these areas. And you it's one of those things where as you're watching the story of these kids, you start thinking... Are, am I watching a story of a third world nation? Oh no, this is in Arizona. Okay, so this is this is happening in the United States, and and some of the poverty that some of these kids are are going through, and, and what they're dealing with, and what they're fighting through. But it's interesting because because of the size, and they talk about this, the size of of the Navajo, uh, they're not an overly large or uh, of stature uh, human. Uh, they say that they're smaller in stature in most respects, so they have to win basketball games with speed. And so they play a version of basketball, we call it run and gun, they call it res ball. So they like to play res Hmm. ball. Their hope is that they're just going to tire you out, run you up and down the court and run you ragged. And and so up until this season, that's what the Chinle team has done, but they haven't had the best of success. So they, but they bought in this new coach and he's more defensive minded. So he's trying to teach him a new strategy. So it's really interesting because it not only talks about what the, the team itself is going through. You know, trying to adapt to a new playing style and trying to adapt to uh, a new thought process, but then it also shows some of the the problems that that are found on the reservation for the, for these young people. There's there's nothing for them to do outside of playing basketball. It Talks about uh, the prevalent alcoholism that is around and what they're what they're having to deal with, the poverty that they're having to deal with, um, what they're trying to how they're trying to help their family, and that many of these kids, their hope is that they're going to go to college. And that somebody will give them a sports scholarship and somebody will take a chance on them and give them the opportunity to go to college to get a degree. So they can get a job off of the reservation to make money so that they can help support their family. Because they know that on the reservation, they're, the chances of them getting a job, something outside of like a school or, or something educational is pretty slim. It's really cool. It takes six episodes. Each of them are about 30 to 35 minutes. So it's it's not a hard watch pretty easy to watch, but it does make you think, you know, uh, a couple days down the road as you're, as you kind of reflect on the episodes and what these kids are going through and what they're trying to accomplish throughout the course of the season. And so, like I said, it follows them from preseason all the way up to the the state championship game. It's just really cool, man, to see these kids grow and, and, and see these kids kind of like blossom as, as some of them who were who are kids who used to sit off in the in the backside uh, are, are now moving forward in life because this coach took a chance on the team. This coach took a chance because he lives like 100 miles away and commutes hmm. uh, on the weekends, goes home, comes back for the week to the school, goes home on the weekend to visit his family. It's just really cool. I, I strongly recommend you checking it out.
2: So is this a, a, a multi-part uh, show or is it is it one uh, sitting? or Six episodes. Where can yeah. I see it? This is on yeah.
3: Netflix called Basketball or Nothing, six episodes, 30, 35 minutes apiece, and uh, a lot of high school sports. The one thing that I find uh, interesting, and I, you know, for as much poverty as they have in this area, the high school basketball stadium that they play in, and I call it a stadium because that's what it is. It's not a, a gymnasium attached to the school. It's a separate building. It's pretty amazing. I look at that, and I'm like, there are uh, class A schools in Texas and Dallas that aren't don't have gyms this nice. Mm-hmm. You know, on ball courts this night. So,
0: do they do a nice recap of where most of the main kids are at the uh, end of the series? To some degree,
3: yeah. I mean, they they talk about where they're headed and li- you know where they hope they're headed in life. Unfortunately, I I, I thought it kind of just kind of cut off. It would have been nice to have a little bit more of a uh, sure retrospective of hey, you know, six months later, this is where this kid's at. Six months later, this is where this kid's at. Unfortunately, it's kind of like hey, well, that was the game, and this is where we think this kid's going.
1: If they do that, it kind of limits the potential of the sequel.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's basketball. True. Or- what the
1: characters do is just some clever plot point throwaway. Yeah. They're going to have stop. another one called Basketball
0: or something. Yeah. Yeah. So- or or- <laughs> they'll do it like the UK office and have a Christmas one hour Christmas special, <laughs> special. recapping right. everything. Yeah. Well,
2: so- I, you know, I, as you were describing it, Tim, I was thinking about, I'm sure this is probably not comparable, but I was thinking about, you know, the, the, in the uh, 80s and 90s when NHL hockey, particularly here in Detroit, started looking at the European and, and uh, Soviet way of playing mm-hmm. hockey, right? Completely different than the North American right. style of, of hockey. Changed the game utterly. Of course, you have mm-hmm. to have the people to be able to play it. But my point is, as you were describing the way that they kind of shocked the system with their style of play... Uh, that's kind of what went through my mind is, is how, uh, how, um, you know, European hockey changed to the NHL here. The
0: Loyola Loyola Marymount method. There you go. College basketball. yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 So, yeah, they went from a res ball style where, like I said, it was run and gun, just go, go, go. And these kids, you know, like most coaches want you to work the ball around, find the right shot, not just a shot. These kids are running down the court and it's like, if you're open, you hoist that sucker and you go. A couple of these kids just wondered. Yes, I know. We're talking about this. We're talking around Jeff about the sports ball. Very true. I don't know anything about sports. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I call it the sports ball. So they, they want to hoist this thing as, as quick as they can and and hopefully get the ball back and you know just kind of keep running and gunning. And he's trying to get them to, you know, to intelligently make three, four passes before they take a shot, move the ball around, get somebody open for a nice set shot and that's not what they want to do. Three passes. It's, it's
2: funny
0: you. It's funny you say that, Fred. If I may interject, one of my all-time favorites. So Jeff and I have been friends for over thirty-five years, and to this day, one of my favorite conversations with Jeff ever was. Uh, it was I can't remember who the third party was, but third party and I were talking about fantasy football, and Jeff interrupted and said, "I'm going to start a fantasy life league." We're like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You you draft your friends. Like if they get a new job, you get more points. They have a kid, you get more points." It was <laughs> one That's of my I were, And that was probably like 25 years ago, and I remember that conversation to this day.
1: I remember like going if I'm going to a sporting event where like Roz was or like our buddy Dan, a bit the uh, I would listen to stuff on the radio, <laughs> and then I would show up, and I'm like, oh yeah, here
2: uh, okay. <laughs> you start parroting back some stats. Yeah, yeah just remember, I'm like they, wow,
0: you sounded just like SportsCenter, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, from episode 47, Basketball or Nothing, that's two thinkers in a row. And our final show for this episode comes all the way from episode 26. We were just babies back then. Howard Rosner is going to take us through the Kaminsky Method. Take it away, Roz. This is a good one. I'm sad that it's ending. This is the Kaminsky Method
0: from Chuck Lore, who brought us the Big Bang Theory. Just finished a kind of half of season three, the final season of the show. So for those of you who don't know, the gist of the show from the beginning, Michael Douglas plays a character named Sandy Kaminsky, who is a great acting teacher, owns an acting school in Hollywood that he runs with his daughter, who's exceptional in the show. And his best friend, Alan Arkin, is Norman Newlander, who's a huge Hollywood producer, has been in Hollywood for ages. The show really... It really is a senior-driven show with issues that seniors face, which is fascinating, I thought, from the beginning, to have a show that's based off of that. But to do it in a setting, Hollywood, that's considerably, easy for you to say, a younger, flashy environment in any other show you watch, was really unique. I love the fact that during the course of the series, they used a lot of great 50-plus-year-old actors. Jane Seymour is amazing in the show. Mm. Um, Nancy Travis is in the show. She's great in everything. Lisa Edelstein plays Norman Newlander's daughter. Hallie Jo Osmond plays his grandson, and he's spectacular at the end of season two, into season three. And then into season three, uh, at the end of season two and into season three, Kathleen Turner plays Michael Douglas's ex-wife and if everybody remembers, obviously the connection and chemistry that Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner had uh, with Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, War of the the roses. Roses they're incredible together still their timing in this series is incredible they riff off of each other great so anyways like i said the gist of the show over the first couple of seasons part of the first season norman's wife passes away and he has to deal with that dating and having sex uh as a senior for the first time in you know 50 years or whatever it is medical issues michael douglas has to face oh, no. but it's a- Really, really good show. Season two ended and then the pandemic hit as they were getting ready to film season three. And apparently Alan Arkin, with the downtime from any form of acting during the pandemic, has apparently just decided to retire for the most part. He's done acting. He wrote a book and that's what he wants to do. So they had to write him out when they did season three. And they really did season three, A, to address him not coming back. And then decided to shorten it and just to put a bow on the series, which I thought is amazing. We've talked about it before, how many series just cancel and they never wrap up the series. Yep. Yeah. In the six episodes of this series, they pay tribute to him and then they wrap up the show. In a, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I thought the way they wrapped up the show was exceptional. It was so happy- and it was great redemption, and it was just, um, it was well-acted, and it was just a very, very, it was sad that Norman was not in the the final season, uh, Alan Arkin's character, but I thought the way they wrapped it up was just, um, it just really hit the right note, that it was just, you're like, that is the way this show should have wrapped up. Nothing crazy, Um, there were sad parts too, but in the end, it was, it was heartwarming, and, um, And I thought it was great. The acting and the comic timing of all these people that have been doing comic movies and TV shows for years. It's great. The best character in the show is the waiter at the uh, restaurant that Alan Arkin and uh, Michael Douglas have lunch in all the time. He's a great character. Really funny. But it's a really, really good show. What, point two episodes, I think? 8, 8, and 6. It's a super easy watch on Netflix. It's a great show. Go watch mm. it. If you want to laugh, but not slapstick laugh. Um, oh, and then I also forgot in season two, one of the main characters who's also a senior in the show is, uh, Ellen Arkin's daughter star or sorry, Michael Douglas's daughter starts dating Paul Reiser, who's 67 in the show, wearing a ponytail. He's great. He's a total Paul Reiser and is great. Go watch the show. You can do it in a week, all three seasons in a weekend. Easy. It's super. This show. So I'm not going to talk about
1: getting to season three in a second. But season one and season two is a Chuck Lorre show, Big Bang Theory. Whatever you think about that or Two and a Half Men, this is the best thing he's ever done.
0: Okay, wow. Agreed. Yeah, and no freaking laugh track like Big
2: Bang. Theory. <laughs> Big so Bang, you, I, Big Bang Theory was good, but yeah. I, I've heard nothing but great things about Big about Big Bang
1: Theory sure. season one is great. It's legit funny. It's just it doesn't you know at some point oh here's a funny Big Bang Theory story. At one at one point I was I was on Twitter and I'm like uh, I was getting into something with someone or I was like the Big Bang Theory. You take away the laugh track. You don't got much. And some guys like they don't use a laugh track. And I'm like, come on, listen to the show. You can hear the words. That laughter doesn't match the, you know, whatever it was <laughs> back when he's like, I'm telling you, there's no laughter. We don't do that. Or we don't, we don't juice it or whatever. And I'm like, it ends up I'm arguing with like a main guy from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I didn't realize. I look at his bio and then suddenly I'm like,
0: I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: um... So you have two of the best actors in the world, Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin, I could sit, is is to me the, the actor that I can watch in anything. And he's he's in a million things. But the oh, I don't know what it is. He just
0: Him and the in-laws is one of the funniest. Yeah. The two of them had such chemistry
1: ever. together, him and Michael Douglas. It was brilliant. That's why I was sad when he wasn't coming back for season three the issue I have with like season three is that it's not what it would have been or what it was supposed to be. It has to, the whole show has to be a, to address the fact that this character is, they killed him off. And so, you know, and, and so they, they elevate characters like the daughter and Haley, Joe Osment, which I think are good in pieces, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm only halfway through and I do enjoy it. And Kathleen Turner is a joy to watch. And Paul Riser was a little depressing to a great actor, but I, they made him look old. I thought he was that old. I got depressed. <laughs> but he isn't that old.
2: Hey, Jeff, I, I just, once again, I'm I'm agreeing with you for whatever reason today. I'll, I'll, I'll show along. So, Alan Arkin, in my mind, I, I have not seen The Kaminsky Method. I mean. So The fact that you guys are so excited about uh, Alan Arkin on the show really does, um, that means a lot. I, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, Ocean's Eleven. Even Argo, I thought, was – he's just such a complicated and well-rounded actor. He, he can do it all. So the fact that you guys are describing great chemistry between him and Michael Douglas sells yeah. the show really well.
1: And he's in a he's, different category. Like Charles Grodin, I would put in that, in that same category where you just – you can't think of anything you didn't just enjoy him watching. Maybe you didn't like the movie not, or whatever. But him as an actor, you always enjoy.
2: Didn't he win an Oscar for Glengarry Glen Ross? I, I, or he was up for it? I can't remember. Um, I don't think so. His
1: son was a big actor, too. She was on, I think,
0: Chicago Hope. Adam Arkin, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, he was, he was great. Yeah, in the first season, when he's dealing with his wife having passed away, he's in this big house all by himself, and he sees his wife in visions, and he interacts with his wife in visions. And it's him in that first season, especially, is, is incredible. And then Lisa Adelstein plays his daughter, uh, and then he starts dating Jane Seymour, In the uh, in the second season as well, it's um, so Jeff let the cat out of the bag that that's how they wrote him out is that he did pass away.
1: Well, in my defense, they do that is the first five seconds. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. The funeral (laughs) in that episode, his funeral is one of the better episodes of any thirty minute sitcom that I have seen in a long, long time. That is a great episode. Uh, It's so well written and well-acted. Haley Joel Osman is really funny as the grandson who escaped Scientology. And he's Lisa Adelstein. Lisa Adelstein, if nobody remembers, was from House. And uh, oh, I think yes. she's yeah. she's great. Yeah. that's uh, a really good uh, job. That's the, only was, place,
1: that's the only place where Howard and I slightly disagree. I The first episode of the first of the third season is a long episode. I think it's like 40-some minutes. 37, 40 minutes. So it's not like a, a normal shorter you know half hour-ish 25 minutes the beginning of it is the funeral i found the funeral painful to watch not because i was sad i found the eulogies and all that i found it kind of painful so it was like but it morphs then into a kind of a normal episode they just kind of get, get through that and then in season episode two and three kind of is the normal show in the pattern which i enjoyed immensely but i, I found the uh the funeral a little a little uh, hard i thought it was maybe, maybe and, i need to watch it again maybe I need to watch yeah it.
0: and while they didn't have the Alan Arkin Michael Douglas chemistry in season three, obviously. I did enjoy the fact that maybe while not as good, they did replace it with the Kathleen Turnham Michael Douglas chemistry in those yeah. middle episodes. And uh, I thought that was I thought it was great.
1: They locked um, into having introduced her in season two. And so that was that they needed her well. in season
0: three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So So that was cool. So And Barry Levinson of all people making a couple of appearances in season. Mm -hmm. So
1: definitely, uh, definitely everyone check out the Kaminsky method. It's definitely, and like Howard said, it's, you just breeze right through it because it's so enjoyable to watch. You just keep going. (laughs) All right. That was the Kaminsky method from episode 26. I have to say, I did go back, rewatch thoroughly enjoyed all of season three. Definitely check out The Kaminsky Method, and also Basketball or Nothing and CODA. What an amazing episode of suggestions for you today. So you got your homework, go grab your favorite spot on the couch, grab the remote, cross your own streams, and we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for listening to this
0: special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.